Discovery. I, I love that was awesome though, right? Let's give them a hand for uh, for that. I love the uh, I love the creativity, and I love the fact that a lot of people who are a, a part of that either play a different instrument or uh, do some other kind of different role here at Discovery. And so to see like Ewan, for example, playing the cello, very exciting this morning. Um, to see people kind of stepping out and, and playing in that that way, leading us into worship in a different way. I'm also excited for um, like when we get the gospel choir. Uh, happening here on Sunday morning. So as we dip into some of these different styles, get, get ready for that. That's going to be exciting. All right. Um, I, want to, uh, I want to begin this morning uh, with this. If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew chapter 16. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and uh, someone on our team uh, will come around and make sure you have one of those. As that's happening, though, I want to talk a little bit about where we are in Matthew and how it connects to that announcement that we just heard about serving here at Discovery this summer. So as we've been making our way through Matthew, the most recent um, section that we looked at was the first part of Matthew chapter 16. And in this scene, we saw Jesus interacting with his disciples and asking them this massive clarifying question, right? This question, who do you say that I am? And in that moment, Peter is the one who stands up and gives this amazing confession of faith. Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are the one we've been waiting for, the king that we've been waiting for. And Jesus then blesses Peter. Right, speaks these incredible words over him about his leadership, about the role that he's going to play in this new community that Jesus is forming called the church. This is the first time in Matthew that Jesus uses this word church. And so if you were here last Sunday, you'll remember we walked out with these two big questions. One, that question that Jesus asks, who do you say that Jesus is? This is maybe the most important question for you to answer in your life, right? Who do you say that Jesus is? But then we also asked the question, and we used a, a bit of a sports metaphor, what does it look like for you to be in the game? Which is a way of asking, what is your participation in the church going to look like? And so if you are... Thinking through that, uh, working through that, still not quite sure what your role to play here, especially at Discovery, might be. This summer is a great opportunity to try some stuff out, to experiment a little bit. And so again, following on the heels of David's announcement, I just want to reiterate, if you are interested in, in exploring some of those things, to, to go for it this summer. My challenge to you would be this, to, to pick two of our teams. Set up and tear down connections, kids, production, whatever it might be. Just pick two teams and, and try them out. Just do a couple weeks in each one. We're not asking you uh, to commit to anything long term or give your life away to, to a team or whatever. Just try some things out and you might discover that that's a really great fit for you. That, oh wow, here is a place where I can use my gifts to be a part of this thing called the church. All right. If you want uh, to talk more about that, you can always ask me or Rolly or anyone at our connection uh, table, and we would love to talk with you more about that. All right. Let's pray, and then we will turn our attention to the second part of Matthew 16. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are uh, grateful for this morning, um, even grateful for the rain, for uh, the different ways that you have gifted us to enter into and express our worship of you. Father, we pray now for the moment that we are in here as we continue to wrestle through what it looks like for us to be a church in this place at this 
moment. God, we ask for wisdom and discernment, for creativity, for our imaginations to be expanded, for our hearts to be expanded, for the people that you care about. You care, of course, for all people, but especially for those who are not in a relationship with you. And so, God, may we grow in our ability to be good news and to share good news with people who desperately need it. And maybe that is some of us this morning, God. We come in here with all kinds of concerns and burdens and worries. Would you hold those for us now that we might be open and receptive to what you want to say? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 16 is, is where we're going to be. Verse 21 is where we'll start in just a moment. Um, I have a friend who has been working in uh, concert production now for uh, the better part of 20 years. He's been on all kinds of major tours, and for the last decade, he has been the lighting designer for Jackson Brown. If you do not know who Jackson Brown is, you're going to need to find someone over the age of 50, and you can ask them, and they will explain to you who Jackson Brown is. Some people get that joke. That's good. Um, so he, he's, on the, he's on tour with Jackson a lot. And so every time he comes through town, he'll give me a, a text or a call and say, hey, uh, we're going uh, to be in town on this particular day. I have tickets for you. I have a backstage pass for you. And so what this means is that every time I go and show up at one of these things, I get this backstage pass, which grants me access to the venue in ways that normally I would never, I would never have that kind of access. And so I've been backstage, I, I've been on, on stage in some beautiful and incredible venues around the United States, and I've even gotten to uh, spend some time with Jackson Brown's guitar collection, which, if you know anything about Jackson Brown, this man has like the premier guitar collection of almost any human being on the face of the earth. It's just incredible, the guitars that he has, if you're into that kind of thing. Now, all of that to say, the backstage pass is kind of cool, and whenever I have it, I sort of get this inflated sense of myself, right? Like, oh, I just, I just like flash it, and this big burly guy will be like, come right in. And it's like, wow, I must be somebody special. But what I found is that there's this weird paradox with the backstage pass. On the one hand, so cool to have access and to be able to go backstage and be on stage, do all these kinds of things. And yet at the same time, it's almost like it was more interesting when I didn't know all of the things that went on behind the scenes. And, and I can tell you about a couple different moments where, uh, again, I've been on stage like right before the, before the show starts and there's these incredible instruments and there's this buzz in the room. And then you go back around the corner and there's like a bunch of smelly, sweaty dudes eating pizza and, and scrolling through their phone. It's like kind of loses a little bit of the magic when you can see behind the curtain sometimes. Now today, as we get into the second part of Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at two, uh, two very different scenes involving Jesus and the disciples. But they're two scenes where the, the curtain does get pulled back for them and they get this incredible insight into how the Jesus story is going to unfold. One scene very difficult, one scene uh, uh, much more exciting. But in both cases, we're going to see the disciples struggle to make sense of this new insight that they receive. They struggle with the access granted to them by the backstage pass. Matthew 16, verse 21 is where we start. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, 
suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now, a lot of what happens here has connections to what has come before. So a, a real quick reminder of what was happening before this. In the prior scene, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two of the most influential vocal groups of leaders, uh, religious leaders, among the Jews at that time, they come to Jesus and they ask him to show them a sign. And this ask is meant to be a kind of test. They're hoping to sort of trap Jesus or at least expose Jesus as a fraud. It ends up kind of coming back on them in a very negative way, right? Jesus reprimands them and says, the only sign that you will receive is the sign of Jonah. And we talked about how that is a foreshadowing of how the story is going to go down. There is going to be a death and there's going to be a resurrection. And then, of course, that scene culminates with Jesus and the disciples having this big, clarifying conversation about who Jesus is really is. So now as we step into today's text, we see Jesus taking this conversation even a step further, explaining this is how it's going to unfold. We're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer. It's not going to be fun. It's going to end with me dying, but three days later I will come back to life. Now, quick side note, once again here, we see the principle, going back to Matthew chapter 13, of uh, seeking more and receiving more. The disciples continue as they interact with Jesus and ask questions and, and, and get more understanding of who he is, are receiving more and more from Jesus. And here today, they get as clear of an explanation as anybody in the book of Matthew gets. We're going to Jerusalem I am going to suffer, I will die, and three days later, I will come back to life. Once again, Peter here takes center stage. Look at his response to Jesus in verse 22. Peter takes Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he says, this shall never happen to you. Now, Matthew only uses the word rebuke a few times in the entire book. This is the second time that we've seen it at this point. And we saw it way back in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus and the disciples are on a boat and there's a storm and Jesus rebukes the storm, rebukes the wind and the waves. The Greek word here is epitomao. This is a warning to prevent something from going wrong. A warning to prevent something from going wrong. Jesus pulls the curtain back, gives them this insight, and Peter says, no, never. Go to Jerusalem, suffer and die. No, that would be this whole thing going wrong. That would be failure. This whole project would be pointless. I will never let that happen to you. Now, Peter and the disciples had grown up in this culture that was longing for a Messiah, for a Savior, for a King who would come and who would make Israel great again, who would restore national pride, who would get rid of the nasty Romans, who would preserve their traditions and their customs. And so they expected the Messiah to come and be quite successful. But as Jesus reveals here, this is not his kingdom project. And then Peter also misses the whole resurrection bit, right? Like, did he not hear that part about how Jesus would come back to life after three days? 
I think he misses that because he cannot imagine a scenario where the Messiah would die. Jesus has an equally strong reply. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, this raises a fascinating question, at least for me. And the question is, what does Peter do wrong here? Peter's not breaking any of the Ten Commandments. He's not in violation of a law. Now, he's certainly upset, confused, uh, uh, surprised that, that his friend says he's going to suffer and die. But why such a harsh response from Jesus? Jesus, who at times is so, so gentle and patient with his disciples. Why here? Get behind me, Satan. Jesus, again, revealing this behind-the-scenes look at his mission, and he says, Peter is standing in the way. He is a stumbling block. What Peter does wrong is get in the way of what God wants to do. And we've seen this before. Jesus has no problem telling people who would get in the way of his mission and purposes to get out of the way. Satan is anyone or anything that gets in the way of Jesus fulfilling his purpose. And as we've seen, this has been building for several weeks now. His purposes are big. This mission is really big. The kingdom is not just about Israel. The cross and resurrection are for the good of the whole world. Jesus will overcome the totality of sin and evil. And Peter cannot get in the way of this. Jesus will not allow it. Not only that, Jesus then invites Peter and the rest of the disciples to get even deeper into this with them. Look at what Jesus says next. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Jesus' mission is to give himself away, right? To sacrifice himself for the good of the world and to be his disciple, he says, is to follow him. Is to follow him into this way of sacrifice and suffering and death. What we have here are our competing visions, competing values. Peter wants Jesus to be successful, but his vision of success is very different than what Jesus says success is going to be. Jesus has come to give his life away, not to take power, to give it away, to lay his life down. Peter here is in the wrong because he's getting in the way of what God wants to do. And getting in the way of what God wants to do is just as problematic as wanting nothing to do with God. Let me say that again. Getting in the way of what God wants to do is just as problematic as wanting nothing to do with God. And so Peter here has an opportunity, an invitation. Will he be able to let go of his expectations, his ideals, his own priorities, and pick up his cross and follow Jesus? And in the process, gain his soul and find life. 
And we'll come back to that scene in just a moment. Look at what happens next. Six days later, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and leads them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the second time uh, in just the last couple of weeks where we've seen Jesus say, Hey, you've got to keep this on the down low until a little bit later. <clears throat> Here again, Peter, James, and John get another behind-the-scenes view. They see Jesus' Jesus's physical appearance change. The transfiguration means that he looks different. And he looks different because this is a fast-forwarding in the story. This is a preview of what Jesus is going to look like in his post-resurrection and eventually in his return to earth. Jesus in all of his messianic glory. <clears throat> And so in these two scenes held side by side, the disciples are encountering one of the paradoxes of Jesus, the God who dies in our place, who suffers, and the king who overcomes death. Glory and suffering. They also in this moment see these Old Testament figures of Elijah and Moses. And this, of course, raises the question, what are Elijah and Moses doing here on this mountain with Jesus? Moses uh, led God's people from freedom. Remember, they were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Moses comes along, leads them out of that slavery into freedom. And as he's leading them to what was called the promised land, uh, he has a lot of interactions with God as they sort of reestablished relationship with one another. Moses is the one speaking on behalf of God to the people. And it says in Exodus that Moses spoke with God face to face like a friend. This incredible intimacy as he's leading people to freedom. Elijah was a prophet. He was a prophet during the time of the king. So after Israel gets to this land and sort of takes it over, they settle down and they realize that they want a king. And so God allows them to have kings and this kingdom builds. And during that time, things would go off the rails. And so God would send prophets to the kingdom to try to get them back on track. Elijah was considered the greatest of those prophets, and he has a very bizarre ending to his story. He gets taken up to heaven in a whirlwind and a chariot of fire. So you have these two pillars of the Old Testament who had uh, very interesting, intimate relationships with God, and they're here on this mountain with Jesus. And again, the disciples are seeing all of this, getting this picture, this behind-the-scenes picture of God's big story of redemption, God bringing freedom and justice and salvation to his people, Moses to Elijah to Jesus. Here, Peter, James, and John getting confirmation of all the things that they've been talking about, from the who-do-you-say-I-am question to the you-are-the-Messiah answer, 
to Jesus' explanation of what that will mean, to Peter's struggle with that reality, to Jesus' call to follow in his ways, it all comes to a head in this moment on this mountain. God has always been about rescuing, redeeming, restoring, and saving his people. And Jesus is the culmination of that activity. Then they also get to see them talk. And we have no idea what they're talking about. Wouldn't it be fascinating to know what that conversation was about between Jesus and Moses and Elijah? Probably about how hard it is to lead people like the disciples, right? <laughs> Peter, though, here cannot help himself. He decides, oh, man, this is, this is really cool. This is really good. We should camp out here for a while. Let me, let me pitch some tents, and we can stay here, and it's going to be awesome. And it's at this moment, this is so interesting to me, it's at this moment for only the second time in the book of Matthew, God speaks directly into the action. And it's interesting, he says almost exactly the same thing that he says at Jesus' baptism back in Matthew chapter 3. This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And the big difference here is this time God says, listen to him. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now Jesus has been doing a lot of talking in Matthew. We've talked about how Matthew structures the book around these long teaching sections. Why doesn't God say listen to Jesus like in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount or one of those moments where Jesus is talking and giving this incredible teaching and wouldn't it be great if God's voice showed up and was like listen to him. Why does God say, listen to Jesus, to these three guys on this mountain? The disciples getting this insider view on the big plan of salvation. Jesus has laid it all out for them. Death and resurrection, cross and sacrifice and life on the other side of death. And it's a struggle for the disciples to to sort all of this out to comprehend what's really going on here, to let go of the old ways. This has been the invitation of Jesus for several chapters now. Let go of these old ways. Leave behind the leadership of the Pharisees. Get the leaven out of the bread, to use one of Jesus' metaphors. And it's a struggle. And so here, God says, listen. Really listen to what Jesus is saying. Don't miss this. Don't get in the way. Pay attention. Now, it's, it's easy, I think, always to pile on the disciples for their uh, slowness to pick up on what Jesus is doing. And especially if you're familiar with the story, it, it, every time you know, we go through this, I think it becomes more obvious. Like, wow, the disciples are just so slow on some of this stuff. But again, think about their perspective. Their world has been completely upended by Jesus, by his teaching about the kingdom, and now uh, about this teaching about the Messiah. Death, suffering uh, at the hands of the elders, this is not how it's supposed to go down. And, And so I think we need to continue to extend some grace to Peter and the rest of the disciples. This is a lot for them to process. And yet at the same time, there are are a couple of significant mistakes that they make here that are worth spending some time naming 
and sitting with, especially as we think about building new community together. These are mistakes that are still very easy for us to fall into. One of them is, is a reminder from last week, this truth that we can get hung up on the small things at times and, and miss the bigger thing that God is doing. The disciples uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus teaching them again about freedom, about leaving the teaching of the Pharisees behind, and what are they worried about? They're worried about sandwiches. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 freedom, like like we're leaving, this, we're, we're leaving this old stuff behind. We're stepping into something new. We're building something new. And they're like, what, what about lunch? <laughs> and again, it's, 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 it's funny, right? It's worth laughing at. And yet we do this kind of thing all the time. Get caught up in conversations about, about music and order of service and programs and definitions of terms. All these arguments that are... are uh, in particular moments can be helpful and clarifying, but oftentimes cause us to miss the bigger thing that God is doing. And this reminder, this truth that the kingdom of heaven, the church, uh, and its role in the kingdom of heaven is about sharing the good news of Jesus with people who desperately need good news. That is what we're called to do. And sometimes we're arguing about sandwiches. And I can just imagine Jesus being like, but no, there's people who desperately need good news. Do not get hung up on the small things and miss the bigger thing that God is doing. Now this leads to the second mistake. And again, more uh, embedded in today's story. We can at times get in the way of what Jesus wants to do. We can get in the way of what Jesus is doing. There are so many ways that we can become a stumbling block to Jesus' good news mission. What I want to say to us this morning is this. We must not impose our own ideals, our own expectations on what Jesus wants to do. Again, Peter and the disciples, they had this, they had this idea. This is what the Messiah is supposed to look like and sound like and be like and accomplish. <clears throat> and what Jesus is saying he's going to do is the opposite of so much of what they expected. And how often is that true of us, where we have an idea, this is what it's going to mean to be successful, for things to go well, for, uh, you know, for whatever your sort of agenda is, what it should look like. And does that get in the way of what Jesus wants to do? Now, specifically for us here at Discovery, I, I believe very strongly God is up to something here. God is doing something new and fresh, and it may not line up with our expectations of church. Or what our favorite pastor or podcaster would say. Or the most recent book that we've read. But God is doing something right here, right now, in us and through us. Peter's mistake was assuming that he knew better than God what the plan was. This is what Jesus means when he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God. You only have human concerns in mind. And so for us, what this means is we will not just superimpose our own agenda or some other church's plan or ideas on what God wants to do here. We will discern, we will orthocrete, to use this term that we've brought up a few times in this conversation. We will discern what it is, what it means to be good news in this place at this time. Now, having said that, I do have a couple of convictions about where God is leading us. I believe very strongly God is leading us to be a more generous, more loving, more inclusive community. 
a community that welcomes all people in, that allows people to belong before they believe, that creates space for doubts and for asking questions and for wrestling with truth together. I believe God is leading us to be a church that apprentices, actually practices the things that Jesus said to do and does these practices together. I believe we're, we're being called to be a church that picks up its cross and gives itself away. That is broken and poured out for the good of the world. This is the good news adventure that we are on. Now the third mistake, to borrow a line from you too, we can get stuck in a moment. We can get stuck in a moment. Hard to blame Peter for wanting to pitch some tents and hang out on the mountain with Jesus and Moses and Elijah, especially given all of the, the, the chaos that had been going on around them, uh, the conflict that they'd been having with the Pharisees. That must have felt like a pretty good moment, right? God's voice in a cloud speaking to them, these huge Old Testament figures hanging out with Jesus on a mountain. Who wouldn't want to stay in that kind of moment? And I don't know about you, but we may not have, you know, we may not be on a mountain with Moses and Elijah, but we've had some pretty good moments at times. These significant, formative moments where things felt really good and awesome and amazing, and the human tendency is to want to camp out there. What does Jesus say to the disciples in that moment? He touches them, and then he says, get up. Don't be afraid. Get up. Don't be afraid. We are going somewhere else. We're not going to stay on this mountain. The adventure is not being on the mountain. The adventure is where is God taking us next? We cannot get stuck in a moment. We cannot get stuck trying to recreate past glory when there is a new and glorious future that we are being invited into. Now, in each of these instances, the details, the stumbling block, the mountaintop moment, Jesus is calling his disciples to something better. He's calling us to something better, to a better story. And yes, this better story will involve denying yourself and picking up a cross, but all great stories, all great stories of transformation involve sacrifice and risk. Donald Miller writes in his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you would not cry at the end of that movie when he drives off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends that you'd seen a beautiful film or go home and put on a record to think about the story you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except maybe you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to feel meaningful. Our stories are meaningful when we sacrifice for something bigger than ourselves. Our lives are meaningful when we pick up our cross and follow Jesus into a death Yes, but also into resurrection. Losing life to find it and gaining our souls in the process. 
there are a lot of um, there are a lot of different stories right that are offered to us about what it means to be successful or to live a good life. And we live in a moment where people are desperately trying to save their souls by gaining the world. This is one of the most prominent stories that are being told right now. The church has bought into this. The church has tried to gain the world through political means or or different types of relevance to the culture that have nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. And our culture has literally gained the world through globalization and unprecedented economic expansion, we can go anywhere and do just about anything that we want. And yet at the same time, there's, there's massive instability in our world, huge growing gap between the rich and the poor. There's anger, frustration, anxiety, and despair running rampant. And oftentimes, again, it's no different inside the church. We are, in a sense, living a spiritual Volvo story (laughs) where it's all about me and and pursuing the things that I want and my agenda. How will this help me grow? How is this going to make my life better? And Jesus is standing there saying, there's a better story for you. There's a better story than that. Get up. Don't be afraid. Pick up your cross and follow me. Let's go on this adventure together. Lose your life and you will find it. And so the big question for us this morning is this. What is your better story? What is the adventure that you are being invited into right now? When I think about some of the great stories here over the last year that I've been here, I think about people who have stepped up into new roles, who are serving our church in all kinds of different ways, oftentimes uh, in the background and unseen. I think of the students we've gotten to know this year who are sharing their faith on campus. We have a group of students from Indonesia who have gotten connected here at Discovery who are serving in different ways, who are meeting together on campus to pray and to worship and to be good news in the places that God has them. There's a group of students that are going to be meeting tonight on campus for this uh, inner fellowship uh, prayer and worship night and, and, and to seek God, to ask God to move on campus. I think that's a beautiful story. I think about the folks who serve in kids' ministry, oftentimes giving up a Sunday or two Sundays a month to invest in the next generation. I think about our groups. I'm part of a couple different email chains with, with groups and and. It's just really fun to be able to watch that and to hear people say, oh, I need a ride. Can someone give me a ride from the train station? And then even more serious things like, oh, there's been a tragedy in my family. Will you guys be praying for my family? It's just such a beautiful thing to see those stories unfolding. I think about my new friend John here who's using his retirement to build a coffee farm in Honduras. And using this as a way to build the local economy and to invest in the local church in that community. I think about Jan, who was up here a couple of weeks ago sharing with you guys her heart for, uh, for justice and reconciliation here in Davis. I think of the team that's going to San Diego this summer, just a couple of weeks from now, in fact, to learn from Kaleo Ministries 
uh, how that learning is going to help inform our posture of service here in Davis and how we can love the immigrant community in particular uh, in our city and in our county. And then I also think about my, my mother-in-law who went back to school a couple of years ago. She started a college degree 25, 30 years ago, got interrupted by life, and in the last two years has finished that degree. She's actually graduating this morning. She's probably walking across the stage as we speak. And just what a beautiful story that has been for her. Your better story does not have to involve moving across the world or doing some big radical thing, but a better story will always involve getting off the mountain, picking up your cross, and following Jesus into a new adventure. This is the paradox, losing your life to find it. And so again, the question is, what is your better story? This morning when you came in, you should have gotten a, a blank 3 by 5 card. If you didn't get one of those, there's some on the communion stations here around the theater. Here's what I want everybody to do this morning. I want you to take that 3 by 5 card on the top of it. I want you to write a better story. And then I want you to, to write something down. What is the better story that Jesus is inviting you into right now? What we're going to do is, uh, during our time of reflection, um, as we close in worship, I want you guys to be thinking about that. I want you to write something down, and then I hope that we fill the whole front of the stage with these cards. No one's going to uh, take them or read them, but I just want us to kind of fill the stage with these better story cards. So what are you committing to this morning? Maybe it's committing to follow Jesus for the first time, to go on this adventure with him with your life. Maybe it's time to, to quit something, to say no to something so that you can say yes to a new opportunity. Maybe it's time to begin trusting God with your resources, with your money or your time. Maybe your better story is forgiving somebody, letting some resentment go, having a hard conversation. Maybe your better story is, is seeking a better, deeper relationship with your spouse or with your kids. Maybe your better story is naming an addictive behavior and getting some help. Maybe it's stepping out of isolation into community. Whatever it is, I want us to name that, write that down, and then as you take communion again, just leave it here on the stage. What is God saying to you? How are you listening to Jesus in this moment? Jesus, who touches his disciples and says, get up. Don't be afraid. Pick up your cross and follow me. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, these are really challenging words this morning. This, this truth that you invite us into a life that involves sacrifice and risk and, and giving ourselves away. So much of the messaging, so many of the stories that we hear in our world are all about us getting more, receiving more. And yet to be your disciple, life in your kingdom, is just the total opposite of that. And the good news here, the promise, is that in doing that, in giving ourselves away, we find life, we get our souls back. 
So, Father, this morning I pray as we sit with this for a moment that we would be able to hear very clearly from you, that we would be able to hear and listen what Jesus is inviting us into, what that next better story is, whatever it might be. For some of us here, it, it might be following you for the first time. And then for others of us, there's things that have been going on that we've been holding on to. We need to let them go today so that we can step into the next adventure that you have for us. Give us the courage, wherever we might be on our journey back to you, God, would you give us the courage to name that and to move in that direction this morning. Thank you for Jesus, for his willingness to pick up his cross and to lay his life down that we can find life that we can gain our souls and that we can participate in this thing called the kingdom of heaven. We are grateful for this good gift, God. And we pray together this morning in the name of Jesus.